guys. I'm your host, Nina. I'm your other host, Letha. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 4, The Moment of Truth. Letha, you want to read us our scintillating and possibly inaccurate IMDb synopsis? Of course. Daniel struggles to teach a new student. Meanwhile, Cobra Kai students wage war on the Miyagi Dojo. I'd like to say, for the record, the synopsis is actually completely inaccurate. This does not describe in any way the goings-on of this episode. IMDB, we expected better of you. I think they fucked up. Yeah. I, I think they, like, forgot to write a synopsis for this and, like... Although, I'm gonna put, like, some blame on the show. What is the moment of truth that they are referring to? Oh, that's right. Uh, okay. I mean, we can... God, these... The last episode, I felt like it was clear. Fire and ice. It was very... Because there was literal, literal fire literal and there fire was and literal ice... Yeah, um, so I guess the writer for this episode went a little bit more metaphorical. Yeah, metaphorical. I mean, okay. I can think of one moment of truth, and I still am not sure if it is the moment of truth. Um, okay, your but, theories. Okay, so I guess this this the art like this actually takes us to our first uh, character plot line that we can discuss: Crease um, and Johnny. Basically, um, the entire episode, we see Kreese just creasing around, you know, talking about, like, uh, Mogadishu with, like, and in his experiences killing warlords with, like, the Cobra Kai students. Miguel is rightfully skeptical about this, uh, especially when Kreese says that he has been to war in both Rwanda and Somalia and does <laughs> not seem to distinguish them. Rwanda was no them. joke. Uh, yeah. Actually, can we, can we play the clip? You gotta understand that Mogadishu in the 90s was a hellhole. Warlords controlled whole swaths of the city. My team and I were charged with cleaning the place up. How many warlords did you kill? You keep track of every ant you stomp out. We were outmanned. I tell you, Rwanda was no joke. Don't you mean Somalia? Mogadishu's in Somalia, Rwanda's a whole different country. Of course, Somalia. I spent so much time in the sandbox. It all. Um, so Kreese is just like lurking in the dojo at all times and now. telling these ridiculous, obviously fabricated stories about being in wars. He also opens the episode having punched poor Dimitri in the nose. Yes, Dimitri comes by the Cobra Kai dojo because. Uh, oh, come on! Can we play this clip too, yes. please? A couple of other guys have been requesting I come join the club. So. uh... I feel like it's time to give it another go. But I've got some ground rules. I'd prefer to take a flag football approach to my karate training. Ideally, learning to hit and kick without actually being hit or kicked. Part and parcel with that, I have a bit of a thing about personal space. The other Cobras are just going to have to accept that. Wow, that is quite the tattoo. Ooh. Uh, not to nitpick here, but I'm not sure it's anatomically correct. You see, the hood of the Indochinese spitting cobra is much smaller, and their pupils are actually round, not the vertical type your artist opted for. So, uh, you know, probably an easy enough fix to correct the... pupils. And for, for his troubles... Poor Dimitri gets punched in the face by Kreese, and he points out later in the episode, which I like, that this is actually aggravated assault, which is actually a crime. Snitches get immunity, though. 
as Dimitri says when Hawk um, gives him a talking to and tells him not to be a pussy and snitches get ditches and I, don't tell anybody. I just want to... I I don't feel like this merits like uh, a whole side plot line because I think it becomes more of a thing later in the season, but Hawk is a terrible person slash friend. Yep. Like, there's no shading anymore to his character. It's true. Like, he's... I, I don't feel like he ever liked Dimitri the way he was talking to him on the phone. Right. It's just like... You know, usually you'd be able to, like, if you're not as close with a friend, like, there's still shades of loyalty or shades of camaraderie, but he's just, like, nothing but contempt. Nothing but contempt. It's like Cobra Kai has hijacked his brain. And, yeah, generally, like, it gets to be such a problem, I think, with the second season, where you just have less shading. And in the first season, it was actually a pure delight to watch Hawk become Hawk. And this season, you're just like, oh, he's oh, yeah. just an asshole. And it's not... It's not bad that he's an asshole, but he's, like, an irredeemable, like, uninterrupted asshole 24-7. He's Johnny in the original Karate Kid movie, but even then, like, Johnny managed to, like, bring a little bit of humor. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Hawk is too extra this season. Yeah. It's too much. Um, but sorry. Uh, yeah, back to Johnny and Crease. Johnny and Crease. Um, there is a line in your notes that I just saw, and it <laughs> says... Theory, Johnny Crease, John Crease is a reincarnated cobra. Tell us about that, Nina. <laughs> you know what? These notes are private. They're not for you to just share willy-nilly. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, fine. If you want to hear my private theory. Go ahead. So, Crease, I think, has now, like, uh, he still plays like he's just here to watch and he's an observer, but he's really kind of ingratiating himself into the dojo and into Johnny's good graces. And to the extent that he talks at all, he only talks like it was when um, Dimitri was like kind of like touching Crease's tattoo. Telling him how it was anatomically inaccurate here and there. Yeah. Yeah. So then you see just Crease. Crease doesn't say a word. Like he just lets Dimitri ramble on for like five minutes and then, like a cobra, he just lashes out. And then next thing you see is, like, Dimitri stumbling out of the dojo with, like, a bleeding nose. And then just throughout the episode, you see him kind of like, well, if we can skip to the end. Um, like, Crease has, like, officially laid out his sob story for Johnny. So this is the moment of truth, listeners. Not this crazy-ass cobra reincarnation I theory. I mean, I am going to hold to that theory, guys. Please tweet at us. I will lay out the reasons. I'm going to work on a full-on... There, there are no reasons. Um, manifesto. There's no reason There here. is a reincarnation manifesto coming your way. Anyway, the real moment of truth is... So, aside from, like, his bullshit war stories, Kreese is telling Johnny that he's staying at the Universal City Sheraton. Um, it sounds it, like a fake hotel. Sounds like a fake hotel. Um, but, you know, when... Johnny tries to reach him there. Nope, he's not staying there. And he ends up following him and finds out that John Kreese is actually homeless. Is this a surprise for you? Were I you, mean, like, shocked? I wasn't shocked. I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. He does seem like, you know, a rambling homeless guy. Um, <laughs> you know what he said? When he was on the phone in his obviously fake conversation with one of his hoteliers, and he said, the housekeeping must have made off with one of my watches. Right. And the look on Johnny's face, he's like, one of your watches, okay. right? Yeah, and <laughs> so he's got like this whole thing where after after he lost the the, the dojo, things got rough. 
He uh, tried to re-enlist. They wouldn't let him join because of his obvious psychological problems. He... Well, that's the other thing. Like, they said they wouldn't let him re-enlist, but I'm just thinking, like, isn't the army just kind of, I mean, like, what are the... Don't they need people? They are always recruiting. They're recruiting, like, right... I mean, you have to be really... I mean, he was probably pretty fucked up in the head, honestly. Um, so I they mean, to not take... Yeah. They would not take him despite him serving in... What war do you think he was a veteran of? Probably Vietnam, Korean right? Korean War. Really? He's not that old. So what I would he? say huh. he was probably 15 to 20 years older than Johnny in the first movie. So Johnny is, what, 18, right? In the 1980s, right. Right, and Kreese was probably, like, in his 30s, late 30s. So he probably served in Vietnam, right? Yeah. Okay. So I guess maybe he was a veteran of the Vietnam War. I kind of have an alternate theory okay. that he Let's never served in any war, but that's... The Boer War. He's eternal. <laughs> <laughs> Immortal Kreese, also a theory. There's Please a lot of write to us with what wars you think Kreese participated in. <laughs> And every Give war is a perfectly fine so we response. Can, we can get, get a sense of how old he is. Right. He's well, immortal. Anyways, since the army wouldn't take him and he turned down a job from a war buddy because he thought it would be a handout, he's just spent like a lot of time rambling around. He's been in homeless shelters for 10 years. And then he heard that Johnny had won this, this, this tournament, had elevated Cobra Kai back to where it belonged, and... He was really excited and, and sought him out. And to me, I'm just like, really? How'd you hear that? Who told you that? Okay, was so that what do you think the, the real shelter? story is? Because this is obviously bullshit cover for something. Like, I think... So he obviously knew... I like, think that this was... is just bad writing. Um, really? Yeah. I think you're well... you're expected just to think that, like... And again, Cobra Kai writers, I love them. For the first season, it was amazing. This season, there's a lot of stuff where you're like, wait, what? And this is one of those things where it's just like, so you just psychically knew, huh, when Cobra Kai won the tournament. Okay. No, I mean, but this goes back to our theory that he was always in Panama with the karate magazine, closely following all He Valley was not tournament. in Panama. He was at a homeless shelter. He was in a homeless shelter in Panama. Why can't both of those things be true? With a subscription to a karate magazine. That he stole. That is that more crazy his... than your Cobra reincarnation theory. For God's sake. By sakes. the way, I'm going to put in clips from this episode that utterly proves my theory. And if I ever figure out how to do this on Audacity, I'm going to put in a super cut of everything, every crease clip that proves that he's a cobra. Is he, wait, is, are you saying he's currently a cobra? or that he's... he's reincarnated the spirit of a cobra. Do you know what I mean? This is dead air right now. <laughs> That's We're not we editing this out. <laughs> So, anyways, that that is our... I've been trying to censor me from day one for my hot and very topical comments. For those conspiracy theories that lead us no good place. But anyways, essentially, Kreese spills the beans about what he's really been doing. And Johnny... Johnny really, like, actually takes it... It's like, well, you know what? You are not crazy shell of an old man. You have a place here. Everyone deserves a second chance. It's very nice. And as you said while we were watching the episode, God, he really is the only person here who Johnny melts my heart in 50,000 different ways. I love him more than Miguel, and that's saying a lot. And since there's a lot of... uh, There's not a ton of Miguel in this episode. All he does is kind of question the veracity of Grease's stories. But since there's not a lot of him, it does really drive home that, like, man, those are the only two that can act. Yeah, it's so endearing to to see that... (laughs) 
everyone in the show, every character has kind of a blind spot. And Johnny's blind spot, it's like... Everyone's blind spot is the past and what they remember of it. Um, so Johnny is like, maybe it wasn't as bad as all that. Maybe I have like learned something from my tutelage under Crease, and he's a and he's person. definitely as a person who's as we mentioned constantly yearning for a second chance. He wants to give other people a second chance. It does drive me a little crazy over the course of the season where Crease, Crease like does more and more shit, and like sometimes I want to be like Johnny. He is literally a homeless man. Kick him out of your dojo. Oh my god. Why does this person have so much power over you? But I get it. It's it's part of the story. You're right. It's probably his character flaw. And it's to me, this was the most compelling storyline in this episode. There's a lot of other... Well, we touched on the Hawk and Dimitri thing, which... You know, not much has happened here, but stay tuned. We've seen Dimitri try to join Cobra Kai not join Cobra Kai, and then at the end of the episode, he goes to Miyagi-Do to learn karate. Which Yeah. Did you see that coming the first time you saw this? I didn't. No, I didn't see that coming at all. It makes sense in retrospect. I mean, it makes sense in that every single person in this town needs to be somehow linked to karate at all times. So, like, Dimitri choosing not to be part of Cobra Kai, like, created a ripple in the universe, and and they were like, okay. How are we going to get him into karate? Yeah. (laughs) Definitely, like, you can see, obviously, this exacerbates the rift between, uh, between him and Hawk. And it's a little, like, it's... Kind of absurd, but it's also like I did like it as a twist. Um, and you're right this this season especially has has this like weird conceit that everyone in the universe is somehow like involved in karate. I don't mind it though. I kind of like it. it. It it leads to some interesting things. Like yeah, later in the and season. honestly, like the scenes of him, like Dimitri being hurt about Hawk's rejection of him, they like read very real to me. Yeah. Uh, like the pain of losing a friendship when you're that age. In stark contrast, I say to, like, the dead horse of Aisha and Sam. My God. Can we just, like, put some pennies over its eyes, just draw the shroud, and just put this thing out to pasture? I never got the sense that they were ever really friends in the first place. Oh, my God. the show kind of keeps insisting that they are, or maybe it's just... had a storied past, and, and, like, (sighs) it involves... Um, I don't know, competing in chemistry camp together or something? Robot camp. Robot camp, sorry. But... These rich kids are not going to chemistry camp, okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, like, they're building robots out of raw diamonds. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So in this episode, we see um, Aisha and Sam are kind of like, they had a falling out just because in the previous episode, like, uh, you know, Sam's dad put out that commercial insulting Cobra Kai. Um, and then Aisha was part of that demo that totally ground, uh, drowned out um, Miyagi-Do's demo. Okay. Again, I was like, what? why would you be personally mad at each other for this? And wisely, it seems like the show itself realizes that. And as soon as they confront each other, they both kind of let it go. Yeah, they both go back to like having the same shallow friendship they did before that Really, I, I feel like Aisha could go either way. Like, she doesn't seem particularly bothered. It's just more like, eh. Uh, she has her new Cobra Kai friends. It's Sam that is desperately trying to hold mm-hmm. on. And it is, because Sam, as you may recall, which no sometimes the show does not recall. Yeah, in the first season, she had these mean girl cool friends and had this whole arc about that. Now this this season, this summer, she just has no friends whatsoever, except for Aisha, who she didn't really give the time of day to in the previous season, but now expects to be her BFF. I also, it drives home that, like, hanging out with Sam would be the most excruciatingly boring afternoon right? on Earth. Like, I don't know what she was doing before she had Miyagi-Do, because it's like, 
I know they like all the adults talk a lot about kids being on their phone, but it's like Sam doesn't have a personality or hobbies or friends or interests beyond karate. So it's like shocking that it's taken her this long to actually get more involved. Because I'm like, what were you doing before that? What yeah. were you doing before? <laughs> like, I'm not. She's not going to our high school, so you know she's not doing her homework. Right, and like, what is what is she about exactly? I don't know. I mean, right now, at this exact moment, she's about desperately trying to hold on to Aisha as a friend. Um, a wrench in the works is that a, a new girl has joined Cobra Kai. Yes, let's talk Tori. Okay, Tori's entrance to the dojo is... Um, Johnny asks, who wants to square off against the reigning champ? Who is Miguel? And everyone's silent. Remember that they have a lot of new students, thanks to their demo last week. Including one new student from the Home Depot. He is like a 20-something... I don't think so. Home Depot guy. Home Depot guy. Who is, like, uh, in his late 20s, yeah. lives with his mom, uh, apparently saves a lot on rent money because of that, and has plenty to, like, spend on karate lessons. Um, Johnny lets him stay despite it being a class for high schoolers. Again, what I like about that scene is it kind of, it's immediately, um, follows a scene where, like, Johnny is talking to, like, the grifter landlord about the rent going up, and... Again, like, he's trying to keep this dojo alive and profitable because he's, it's an economic venture for him as much as he enjoys it. Unlike for Daniel. We'll get to that. But yeah, yeah, so hence why Home Depot guy gets to stay. Unfortunately, he stays throughout this entire season. But you know what? I'll complain about that in later episodes when he gets more screen time. But anyways, he asks if anybody wants to take on Miguel and new girl Tori with a Y stands up. She's hot. She's cool. They start fighting. Their fighting takes kind of a flirtatious nature. She's clearly already very good at karate. Um, yeah, uh, except know. she says she's only had a couple kickboxing classes. As someone oh, who took kickboxing for a few months in college, I never got good. And no, you did not have a couple classes and then somehow like be able to like block maneuvers from a karate champ. Yeah, so Tori's kind of like on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, clearly not one of the rich kids. A little um, bit of a bad girl. I, I don't know why the show insists on lying about her, like, fighting background. But okay, she's good, is the point. Yeah, they do a couple interesting things to sort of, like, set up her character. One, she's got these, like, fisticuffs, I think? Like, this bracelet with spikes on it that she apparently has used to... <laughs> to ward off, uh, like, a pervy guy. Yeah, So, you know, that's fair. more power to you. Um, and her and Aisha... Aisha, I guess, could also use... A friend, especially friends. a female friend. Everyone needs more friends. And now in that show. right now that there's like two females in the dojo, they're like they're bonding. Um, Aisha asks her to come to like the beach club that all the rich parents and their kids hang out at, um, and so they go there. Uh, they meet Sam. Well, Sam meets Tori after she's just stolen a bottle of vodka from behind the bar and gets pretty. Uh, pretty judgmental about it and it's just like you shouldn't steal what did you think of that i mean it's sort of like okay if sam has any kind of defining character traits it's like kind of a goody goody um like that's why she fell out with the mean girls is because they're saying like yes she's just a mixed up teen but at her core she's good she's like robbie i mean you know in some sense wait wait can i counter that 
The reason why she fell out with the mean girls is because, like, Kyler, Asian bully extraordinaire, spread rumors about her. Like, she didn't, of her own volition, like, go against them. And, you know, I bet they were stealing vodka all the time. Like, just, it seems odd. But they were always setting up Sam as being kind of like, like, she didn't quite fit in with them, even as she was part of their group, or like... Who knows? I think Sam has no character or personality, and so she's like water. She takes on the shape of the container. And in um, this instance, she's very anti-stealing, which is just like... And not that you shouldn't be anti-stealing. It just seems like a strange like thing to yeah, suddenly and I, be like... Yeah, I don't know if she... I, part of me thinks, like, since her only current plot line is, like, begging for Aisha's attention back, maybe she was just like jealous that Aisha had a new friend friend at the country club which is a really strange thing to say out loud but (laughs) there it is but Uh, there it is thus like you know kind of pissing Tori off and she and rightfully so 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 she and Aisha uh go off and have some vodka together um Sam goes back to her mom her mom's missing her wallet and you know Sam immediately it takes 0.0 seconds for her to like make the leap from so Tori after she steals the vodka makes kind of like a Clearly, like, facetious remark. Facetious remark about stealing the silverware in this place. Because nobody's watching, so the adults are drunk, which is true. And Sam immediately is like, yeah, okay, so now, instead of hanging out at this country club, Tori is on a spree. <laughs> just going to steal everything. to wallets. And I was just like, I wrote this in my notes in case she will be asking for the manager in 20 years, probably less time than that. Mm-hmm. She's that person. Um, she'll be reporting kids on her lawn. I just think, Jesus, she's she's such a wet blanket. Yeah. And I say this as two two people that didn't get up to much in high school. No. We were not stealing vodka. Never stole any vodka. I want to say that but for the I record. But would I begrudge someone else their fun? No. Be free. Live. Steal that vodka. Also, we're too tired to care. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's a country club, but I'm not sure how they much really it matters. They really wouldn't miss it. Right. I mean, one thing Sam does point out is that if you get caught, you'll be in big trouble, which is true. But, uh, hey, whatever. Live your live your truth, Tori. Tori has taken risks, you know, that she sees fit. And uh, Sam does confront her about the wallet, which, you know, Tori is understandable. And I'm not, like, a big Tori sympathizer throughout this season. She's kind of, like, a bit much. But, like, Tori is understandably, like, really pissed off about that. Ends up shoving Sam into a table. Sam is covered with pudding. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of satisfying. And then I thought this was the most ironic thing is when uh, Aisha tries to help her get up. She's like, nice friend you made. And it's like, sorry, you and your mean girl click were like terrorizing Aisha for the better part of a season. And you did shit. You did nothing. But, you know, I'm glad you remember. I know. <laughs> it's oh infuriating. God. Yeah. Sam is an incredibly infuriating character. Just, um, speaking of... Characters from the wrong side of the tracks. Ooh. Let's talk a little bit about Robbie's plot line. I'm sorry. Who's getting Ro- Robbie's getting way more screen time in season two. This is a problem. This is a problem because you think, okay, maybe we just didn't know enough about him. But no, guys, I think we've known we've known all along that Robbie is just There's not a lot of there there. No. I mean the thing no. is it's like in this episode, like he's that's back why at the, perfect for Sam. yeah, I suppose so, multiplying zeros and such. But he's at the beach club. He's like sunning himself, and like the manager of the beach club, you know, obviously, like he's been there before. He was running some kind of con with his like old 
thug friends from season one. And so the manager recognizes him and goes up to him and says, like, leave immediately or I'll call the cops. I told you that. Now, if I were the manager, I would have just called the cops. He is like a criminal who's referring to the premises. I think it's nice that the manager actually gave him the option of leaving. But anyways, Mrs. LaRusso gets up in there and is just like, what are you doing? He's our guest. And I think it's interesting because I know you're supposed to sympathize with, like, Robbie, but, like, be, being the contrary asshole I am, I'm like, this poor manager is just trying to run this place. He knows some, like, he's not falsely accusing Robbie of stealing. He knows Robbie comes here to steal. So he tells him to go. He's not aware that Robbie's had an evolution of character in the past few months. And then Mrs. Lurso gets up in there and pulls rank on him because she's a customer. He's just an employee, right? And I feel bad for the guy. See, I'm conflicted because as a socialist, I can't ever align with the managerial class. But also, but then we, Amanda LaRusso is also part of the managerial class. She but is really, above the managerial class. It's true. So I kind of just want both of them to go away. And, and you want to Robbie go, to like Robbie drink stolen fall, pina coladas? No, I want Robbie to sort of like fall into the pool and drown. So you're just anti-everybody then? I Yeah, I guess I'm a nihilist. I just want the world to well, burn. Because yeah, it's like, I was just honestly like... <laughs> You know, I, I like Mrs. LaRusso usually, but I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, well, great. Like, I'm glad your adoptee is, like, a reformed scoundrel, but, like, it's not this guy's fault that he's just trying to do his job, but whatever. Um, Robbie, she asked him, like, what's going on? And Robbie's kind of like, I might have, before I met you guys, I, I had a past, a dark past. He does have some integrity in, like, coming clean about that. Um, and then she gives him a sweet speech about second chances. Um, again, I feel like this show, this episode should have been called, like, Second, Second Chances, Chances would have worked better, I Too think. literal, I suppose, for the writers. The fuck is the moment of truth, though? Yeah, seriously. Like, if each plot line is, has, like, a moment of truth, we covered Crease and Johnny. Is Daniel, uh, like, I think I have an idea what J- Daniel's moment of truth is. What is Robbie's? <sighs> Christ. Um. Or, God forbid, what is Sam's moment of truth? <laughs> I can't even. Or no, with that. she just has moments of ennui. I mean, Robbie does like after after that whole confrontation. After he uh, Amanda Russo discovers her wallet is gone, he goes uh, down to the beach and to this hiding spot beneath like a couple of like bleachers, and he finds like a collection of wallets. And you quickly realize that that's where he and his old bug crew used to ah, store the yes. wallets. And they they emerge out of the woodwork and like literally. immediately, at, literally out of the woodwork, and and begin like taunting Robbie who says like you're gonna have to give this all back now which is just like he never made a very good thug to be honest <sighs> okay Robbie and like he like, gets hit in the head with a paddle did I cheer listeners maybe a little bit he doesn't um, make a convincing former ruffian that's no. the problem like what makes Johnny's character so great is that he really believably embodied an 80s bully and mm-hmm. so watching him add some shading to that and come across as the most like compelling character is is a feat Robbie can't act the so they were like, you know what? We got to just make some clean cut young kid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, it's the acting. And also it's just like, maybe it's that with Johnny. It's like, he was an 80s bully. Some part of him is still an 80s bully. Yes. And that like, actually, you, do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's, there's other better parts of him mixed in with those parts of him. Robbie, like, you never get the sense that he was really a criminal. He was actually convincing in season one when you see him. Do you remember like in the first scene you see him? When he is, like, conning a customer at Best Buy out of a laptop. And he comes across as this very clean-cut, sweet-faced kid. And then he, like, ends up stealing that laptop. It's like, you can see how he would have been a successful little con guy. It's just that, like, 
you don't like really like, like you don't look at him now and think like, oh man, he's a reformed bad boy. Because what would be interesting to me is if that kind of element of like being a bad boy is only in reaction to his like like relationship with his father that would add some like character or, nuance or honestly like, yeah. like if there was still like a tendency in robbie to like want to con people because he's yeah. good at it he knows how to look sweet-faced and innocent if he was always kind of accidentally trying to con people and then feeling bad and about the thing it is, I don't know. you know a few episodes ago like when when he first starts training or maybe that was late last season but when he um he encounters his old buddies and they're trying to like break into larusso auto or, oh, that was last season. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and he immediately like sticks up for them. It was like the character arc was too soon. It like, was oh, too quick. I, he needs to have some like he needs to slide back into his old ways right. in order to show. Some... And was he ever like really friends with some of his thug buddies? Because then he would feel mixed about. Maybe like, season three is when they were like you. You actually get to know the buddies a little bit, and they're like, actually, Robbie was the craziest of all of us. <laughs> like he slaughtered a bunch of people in the town over, and then it's like all a long con, right? That that would win me back. I would be on Team okay. Robbie if it turns so out that this is all a long con. Yep, I mean, I'm here for it, right? Because this Robbie is not interesting, um, and in fact, I'm just going to cut his story line off and talk about how <laughs> when he is being assaulted by his his former thug crew who who leaps literally leaps from a higher deck to his rescue it is daniel who uses his karate skills to like ward them all off i mean i know daniel is a former karate champ but three on one I, uh, whatever I okay so but then it was none like, of these kids like, has a gun really okay um that's sure. the other thing i mean it's it's, it's not is it easy to get guns? I don't know. I guess it's America, Jack. So I feel like you probably could get a gun. Yeah, right? But anyways, they all are fall prey to his karate skills immediately. Um, and before we, we talk about the outcome of that, we need to talk about Daniel's plot in this episode, which oh. is why they're at a beach club for most of this yes. episode. Yes, okay. Going back to the building. So Daniel is quite depressed in this episode because of the fallout of the... The All Valley Fest. He Valley Fest, just Valley Fest. Valley Fest, where, um, as you may recall, his demo of Miyagi Do was very overshadowed by the demo from Cobra Kai. Again, it's like these karate moments that have like the seismic effect on his mood, right? And his, and he's he he's basically just like, well, we need to find some other way to drum up more students. And it's interesting because you see Sam and Robbie talking about like, oh, we got to do something to promote Cobra Kai and make it more attractive to people. And they're kids. I get it. They're wrapped up in this. Daniel, I, I mean, this is, again, another Daniel moment that really pisses me off because it's like, this isn't a business for you. It is not like something where you need to like have more students in order to stay in business. This is a weird yeah, side let's, let's project. Let's all take guesses about what other quarter's marketing budget he's going to blow right? through. It's like, this isn't urgent in any way. This is like... You know what? Daniel is the real snake in the grass because, stay with me here, folks. Oh, God. Is he also a reincarnated cobra? No. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> anyway, I hate that when, so he takes, you know, he's all depressed, wandering around Miyagi-Do, a.k.a. his home, his palatial home, um, and, like, Robbie and Sam are trying to, like, pick up his spirits, and he's just like, no, 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 let's go for a cruise. And he decides that... The best place for them to, like, get more students who really need Miyagi-Do is the beach club. Yeah. Yeah, the beach club, the country club where he and his family are members. He will talk to rich parents and ask them to send their rich kids. By exploiting their fears. Right. Which is kind of like, hey, man, like, maybe since this is a free dojo, you should offer, like, inner city kids a chance to train with you. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe. Oh my god. But instead, oh. and and his idea where you got when you're selling to people, you got to like look them in the eye and gain their trust. And it's like, yeah, you're like cobnobbing with your rich friends and basically. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is when Sam and Robbie are trying to talk to him and like basically be a therapist for him after <laughs> Valley Fest goes bust. He's just like, no, no, we're not going to do it the Cobra Kai way. You know, uh, I may be a used car salesman, but I've got some integrity, goddammit. And it's like, what says integrity? Then pretending like you're just going for a pleasure cruise, not filling in your wife on any of your machinations ever, and then hitting up the country club and like, Hitting parent after pa- parent and like with this kind of like devious smile on his right, face. like so. What's your son doing these days? Oh, getting beat up lately. Is he addicted to his phone. Well, maybe he's got to go old school, like I just did with my dojo. I know, and um, he's like, "Well, what if they told you like their kid had gotten into meth?" He's like, "You know what the the remedy for that is Miyagi Do." Yeah, anything. The solution is Miyagi Do, no matter what. I had I cheered when at one point he's got a bunch of like fathers surrounding him and he's talking about how Miyagi Do is so fucking great and then Aisha's mother walks in and it's just like are you guys talking about karate yeah it's so great it totally saved Aisha's life oh my god Cobra Kai and Sensei Lawrence are the best and I loved this moment because one you can see Daniel defeated which is nice and two it's like <laughs> this supports what I've said all along which is I think that the show is at its best when it realizes that. Neither Miyagi-Do nor Cobra Kai are bad inherently. Like, I think they both have things to offer to different types of students. I think Cobra Kai had something really valuable to offer to Aisha. And this season's sort of like, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on with Aisha. Uh, You forgot to mention the scene that had us... Well... It's a special Daniel scene. Daniel's walking along the beach. Oh, God. Like, he has just been he disappointed. He's in a Zoloft commercial, and he's just questioning everything. He has not been able to recruit any rich kids to be his students. And he sees a man in a hat. In a fishing. bucket hat? A fisherman's a hat. hat. Fishing. And what does he think immediately upon seeing a man fishing? It's yeah. got to be the ghost of Miyagi. I mean, would that <laughs> were true? Wouldn't it be great <laughs> adding a horror element to this? Miyagi has been haunting this town Actually, forever, yes. like Pennywise. I'd like to see that. That there, there never was a Miyagi. Don't oh you see? Oh my god! It was always kind of yes, a weird Daniel hallucination that came to life. I mean, that makes sense. And then they do the supercut where it's like every every <laughs> memory he's had is actually him just talking to like an empty car or like a, a random bonsai plant. <laughs> Somebody write this. Um, the script writes itself, doesn't it? But no, it turns out that this is not Miyagi, guys. It's just a dude fishing. And this is the part where it gets ludicrously sublime. Because, yeah, he's vaguely ethnic. Yeah, he's vaguely ethnic. And, and Daniel's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You just looked like a friend. The and, hat. And the it. guy says, did your friend like to fish? Yes, yes, he did. Well, and Daniel's like, your bucket seems empty, though. And the guy says, you know, if you've got something worth, worth biting... Fish will come to you. I, w- I was like, I refuse to type this line down. I want to try to scrub it from my memory. As soon as I heard, I felt assaulted. Everything <laughs> about that. Just like... Just that this man spends his, like, one afternoon or whatever fishing, enjoying quiet time, and then this random stranger approaches him, confuses him for a man that's been long dead. Yeah, and... On the basis of a hat. And any other person would be like... nothing like Miyagi. Right. But just like any other normal person would be like, 
okay, well, Excuse bye. Me. Gotta go. Yeah. Um, but the idea that instead he decides to engage with Daniel and, like, offer him sage fisherman metaphorical advice. You know what's advice. in that bucket? More metaphors. More. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hmm, which oh, one should I try out next? My God. And just... But you, if you've got You're something worth biting, yeah, yeah just... I know. And Daniel, like you can tell, Daniel should have worked for Hallmark because the way he responds to platitudes is honestly like a jolt of energy. Like you're right, man. Nothing else seems to sink through. You're Not a lot man. more like your like my friend than I thought. It's just like. Poor Miyagi, rolling in his grave. I was like shouting, I was like, run, dude. Run, fisherman, because Daniel's going to like shove you in a van and take you Cause away. Because he's the reincarnation of Miyagi, right? Like, oh that's my god. Clearly the what way the our implying. horror movie would end is like it pans to like his secret bunker in the basement and the fisherman's just trapped there. <laughs> okay. And Daniel keeps going down for more platitudes. I right. know. But... See, the episode ends more or less with, like, you know, Daniel's, like, contemplatingly looking at the window. Robbie approaches him and is like, hey, guess what? I got a video of that, that you fighting off three thugs at Does once. Does that seem really unlikely to you? That Completely. He's now, he's probably suffered a concussion from being brained over the head with a bat. But he got a video. But um, he then immediately picked up well, his phone Well, you know, kids these decide, days, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah. But he apparently has one and says, like, well, why don't we post it on YouTube? It goes viral. We get students. It'll be great. And Daniel, who's learned something from his mystical encounter with this fisherman, is just like, no, no. You see... Like, Miyagi didn't recruit me. I went to him because I needed him. And we'll do the same. And, you know, the thing about this is, like, that's actually pretty good as a moral of the story. Because, like, this entire episode... Let him come to you. Don't be thirsty, Daniel. Yeah, and also just, like, what are you trying to do, man? Like, you, you have this free dojo... Um, and you, you're not using this as a way to make money. He wants to be popular. Yeah, it's, it definitely in this episode, you're like, you clearly just want to be popular and like outdo Johnny Lawrence as opposed, and again, I will repeat this. If you really cared about giving back to the community, you should recruit like inner city kids who can't afford karate in the first place instead of just trying to eat Johnny's lunch. But you know, whatever. And I do like this revelation that he comes to at the end that he should stop doing that bullshit he doesn't really stop doing this bullshit, though. But, hey, you know, it's a nice moment. And then Dimitri walks in, so you're like, oh, okay, all right, I got it. Student came to you, I see. And to be you fair... You think it all, it, the realization, the moment of truth, if you will, was all because of the fisherman? Ugh, that's so sad if it is. I'm wondering. Sure, yeah. If he had not seen that fisherman, I think he would still be recruiting at the country club. Uh, okay, thanks, anonymous fisherman. Be free. You are the hero of our story. <laughs> Maybe we'll see him again when when Daniel inevitably backslides and forgets all of his Miyagi lessons. I mean... Which happens every two episodes. It really does. And I understand... I mean, I guess now that we've, like, seen the Karate Kid one recently, it makes me think, like, Miyagi was very different from Daniel. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, he, like, definitely did not want to take Daniel as a student at all, you yeah. know, and was very reluctant to, to do anything. He was... he's not real. <laughs> Why would your hallucination, like, turn you down so many times, though? <laughs> He's got low self-esteem. <laughs> but, yeah, like, and, and Daniel's definitely, like, desperate for students, which... Wh- why do you even need more than, like, Robbie? Like, Miyagi didn't have more than Daniel. Like, it's just what... Like, I, I'm also... I, clearly what he's trying to do is compete with Johnny, but, like, the show never makes that explicit. So it's just kind of like, what do you want, dude? I mean, you already have a good business, good family, a student who worships you and thinks you are his pseudo-father... I think I think you're done. I think you're done. 
Um, any other stray observations here? Let's see. Well, my notes don't have any crazy reincarnation theories. Yeah, not so... yet. I well, mean, except it's for the right there thing, in front I guess. of you guys if you really look. Connect the if dots, people. you know where people. to look. Um, so, what would you rate this episode? Okay, you always ask me first, and then I'm just scrambling. Um, no, that's not true. You always ask me first. I could come up with a crazy, wonderful rating system, and then you get jealous. So I wanted to give you a chance to do that. Okay, fine. Two out of five mystical fishermen Whoa. with platitudes. Two out of five mystical fishermen with platitudes. That's pretty good. I also give it a two out of five Creases fictional stolen watches. Yay! Yay. That's good. Um, I well, actually, I want to ask you an overarching final thought. Yes. What do you think it is about this season that it just doesn't quite seem to be coalescing together as well as season one? I think it's more gimmicky. I think uh, like they were trying to like they probably didn't even know how the show was going to do, so they tried to make season one as kind of like. They bookended it. They like created a genuine arc for two people, um, based on kind of like this raw material of Karate Kid One. So like, poor man Daniel is now like wealthy and kind of like clueless and still thinks he's like uh, down and out and has something to prove. But then you contrast that with Johnny. Um, whereas this season, like, it becomes one, they've, like, filled out the cast more. So it's not about just these core characters. Like, we've hardly seen anything of Miguel. Um, Johnny, we see some of Johnny, but it's now the attention has shifted to Crease. Like, they're they're trying to, like, build out the backstory of these supporting characters. So I think, like, one, that weakens the season, because we don't care. Like, we don't... And then there are certain characters that have never been compelling, who shall remain unnamed, but Robbie and Sam, um, <laughs> that are now Way given more back. screen time than ever. And so it's it's like, it's still a 24-minute episode, and we're halfway through almost of the season, and I feel like I don't know what's going on with Miguel. I don't really know what's going on with Johnny. Mm-hmm. And that that's what makes this show uh, kind of frustrating in the season two. Yeah, that they, they take the very strong elements and they kind of shift away from them. I, I would say, for me... I agree with what you're saying completely, but like when it, for me, season one was like, it was like so. And to be fair, season one was like crazy good. Like it was so much better than I was expecting. Anytime that I thought they would make a wrong turn, they always made a right turn. And some of it was just that I felt like my expectations were always subverted, you know? And yeah, exactly. Every time it's like, and they also were like, with, like, Johnny as, as a sensei. It's like you could see sometimes, like, his weird Johnniness would pay off and sometimes it wouldn't. It was constantly surprising that way. Um, and, like, things like with, with Hawk being, like, the shy kid with the facial disfigurement suddenly becoming Hawk. Like, it was, like, was not expecting that. This season's almost, like, it's... There, there's, there are very few subverted expectations. It, they do focus a lot on this Miyagi-Do versus Cobra Kai thing, which I'm going to say culminates in a, in a fun way, but not in like in any way a realistic way in the final episode. Yeah, it becomes more like an ancient war. And, and what, I don't know, like even scene to scene, like when you talk about subverted expectations, like everything feels predictable. Yep. Like in the fight scene... I was like, do we really need the scene of the thugs taking on Daniel? Yes. Which neatly fits into him 
videotaping it, which leads to his moment of truth. It's all a little too like right. None of it is. Cutter. Everything is is incredibly predictable, um, and, and so that's that's frustrating with the season that like that came before it, totally relying on being both unpredictable, but also like, of course, now that makes sense when I think about it. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's sad. This, the season's probably at its best when it has like these moments of absurdity. Yes. Like portraying this weird section of, of Los Angeles as a place with two warring karate clans. It's ridiculous. It's kind of fun. Season one was actually more about like, it was just more realistic actually. So it didn't have these moments of like craziness, but it, Ultimately, yeah. Yeah, and if they're going to provide backstory, they need to to do it on characters we care about. Like, uh, tell us a little bit more about, like, Miguel's home life, like, or his father leaving, or maybe they're foreshadowing for season four. I don't know. Right. Um, or, just... or, like, Johnny's backstory. Like, we, we still haven't really seen that much of his, like, life in the intervening years. Right. Like, I don't, think you're, I don't think you're quite done with him, and, like... Also, like, things like Crease being homeless, literally the most predictable thing in the world. <laughs> oh, my God. Wouldn't it have been hilarious if he actually was in a five-star hotel? That would have been at least something, like, like oh, was not expecting I that. I mean, that would have been, like, a wacky 80s thing and, like, you know. Turns out he's actually he's, Rockefeller's he's actually lost heir. to be, like, hobo chic, and that duffel bag has millions of dollars in it. Who <laughs> <laughs> no. And he has infinity money to fix infinity karate trophies. Mm-hmm. And a garden filled with cobras because he's trying to find his mother cobra. from his last yes, cobra life. it all circles back. Okay. And with that, <laughs> listeners. We're ready to close it out. Um, <laughs> strike first. Strike hard. No No mercy. mercy.